1: Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.
0: This is Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, and in this week's episode, we're reviewing Minari and I Care A Lot, plus all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff.
2: And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist.
0: And we love to talk all things movies, absolutely. And this week we're going to cover off two films, but first we're going to kick off with Minari, Lee.
2: Let's jump straight into it. Minari follows a Korean family who moved to rural Arkansas in the 1980s to chase their version of the American dream. As they struggle to adjust and earn a living from the land, the arrival of Grandma completely changes the dynamic and throws a bit of colour and chaos into their lives.
0: Now, I can't wait to talk about Grandma later on in this mm. episode, but let's just rattle off who's involved here. It was written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung. This is his fourth feature film.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Minari stars Stephen Yoon, Yeri Han, Alan Kim, Noel Cho and Yoon Jung Yoon as Grandma.
2: Let's jump straight into the story, Tim. We gave a bit of background about what the story is about. This is basically a take on chasing the American dream, isn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely chasing the American dream, but not so much like talking too much about the American dream as a whole, but what it means to a specific Korean American family and how Mm. deeply personal that is and their kind of interpretation of it in order to realise a life that they value for themselves and their family.
2: The story has some personal significance for the director, doesn't it? His family immigrated to America and he lived on a farm, but that's kind of where the similarities end. This isn't exactly his story, but he's drawn on his life experience to make a really authentic film.
0: Deeply authentic and personal. I think I read that he first was envisaging the story and kind of itemized a lot of visual memories from his childhood and then from that he kind of created this fictitious story based on these characters that he came up with so there's that similarities it's inspired by his experience and his childhood but definitely goes in different directions to really tell this family's story and their experience in arkansas it's just really really beautiful really really beautiful
2: did you enjoy the story
0: I did. I really liked the story. I loved, probably more than anything, how funny it was. Mm. Like, the humour was just wicked and cheeky and just so clever. But that was only born of these beautifully realised characters in this deeply personal story about this family and their struggles and what they were trying to achieve. Yeah,
2: I loved all those points that you just mentioned, and Mm. especially little David, played by Alan Kim, who was just cute and cheeky and (laughs) really brought you into the story. David was a conduit almost to bring you into this story, but he was also, you know, had this innocence of a child, but also almost maturity, I guess.
0: Yeah, he did bring a unique perspective for the eyes of a child and how he interpreted things that were happening around him. But what I really enjoyed about his character was the, the relationship between the father and the son
2: mm. and just
0: that beautiful dialogue, that connection. This this is why I love these sorts of films because they're character dramas at their mm. core and you're there to follow their journey, experience their feelings and emotions amongst a backdrop, a beautiful visual backdrop of Arkansas and, and all of that. But it was deeply personal and in how Lee Isaac Chung decided to tell that story and it came down to the character relationships and the character drama that was woven into
2: the plot. Speaking of character relationships, you get this great dynamic between Cheeky David and his equally Cheeky Grandma, who's not a real grandma, as he says throughout of it, because she's really unconventional, isn't she?
0: So unconventional. And I wasn't expecting that. I don't know how you were expecting Grandma to come in and what she was going to change to the story and the dynamic and how she was going to help and how she was going to project the narrative. But I was like sitting back going, oh, I just want more of Grandma. And I was really surprised by her position in life and her humour and how she was really on David's side most of the time and just did whatever the hell she wanted. I just mm. loved her character so much. I loved Grandma. I want her. That's my grandma.
2: When Grandma got involved, the story just went in really surprising, wonderful directions, some sad, some yeah. moving, but also really fun. And the connection between her and the title, Minari. Can we talk about the title mm-hmm. for just a second? Yeah. Yeah. I like the use of Minari for the title because Minari is a Korean, I guess they say weed, don't they? They say, they say it grows like a weed, but it's yeah a vegetable, I guess. It's a herb. So, Minari can thrive in unappealing conditions. And that was a beautiful metaphor for this family, mm. I think, thriving in like fish out of water conditions.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I felt like it was a really tenderly dealt with the introduction of Minari into the story and that it came from the grandma character and that beautiful process of seeing it grow and then the development of the characters in the story as well to balance that metaphor that you mentioned. Mm. It was a really nice addition, really simple, effective addition to the story.
2: Yeah. A bit of symmetry there.
0: Yes. Yeah. What I really liked about the introduction of grandma was that she brought things from home with her, Mm. uh, things from Korea. (laughs) And I really loved the connection that the mother had I've got chills thinking about this because it was just this is what I mean about beautiful character drama because they're really simple moments of of story that mean a lot to those characters yeah. and her connection and a nostalgic connection with the food and the comforts they had a real emotional force to her as a character and ultimately you know brought a different perspective and Vivaciousness to the story moving forward Especially with the introduction of grandma
2: Yeah you're right It really brought them out of their shells When they had comforts from Mm. home And grandma was there And they could really relax into this I guess living one foot in each world Yeah Trying to straddle both worlds Of the American and the Korean
0: And not to relate my experience To these Korean American immigrants But you and I have both lived abroad Mm -hmm. And the power of things that connect you to home You know, when people send you a care package or a friend Mm. or a family member comes over to visit you, there's something so emotionally powerful about that. And I think that this film, through its beautiful script and its characters, it allowed you to relate to a lot of things that were going on in your own kind of through your own lens. And I thought that scene with the food was really beautiful in that way. Yeah,
2: it's so successfully relatable. Mm, Yeah. So, if you're put off by the idea of seeing a foreign film or having to read subtitles, It's just not that, is it? I mean, it's so Mm -hmm. relatable.
0: So relatable. And I'm glad you brought up the subtitles because this family – they do speak English, but I think what Lee Isaac Chung allowed was that authenticity in that this family would speak Korean in their home and that made it part of their home. That was their connection to, to their uh, homeland in Korea. And I thought there was a really nice balance of them kind of slipping in and out of American to Mm. Korean. uh, And I really appreciated that it was, it was important to the story.
2: Yeah. I think authentic is the right word because you see too Mm. often in films like this, that they would speak English all throughout the movie and it's just not natural. You don't do that at home. You speak your own language at home.
0: Also, just to build on the food, mm. the traditions and the customs of the food as well, and the importance of that process, I really loved the drink from grandma. That tea that she made was a really <laughs> beautiful moment as yeah. well. So I clearly, yeah, I clearly loved that, those particular moments in this story. So I just wanted to call out another one
2: and the reaction of David to that drink. Who's been very Americanized with his Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah. He loves his Mountain yeah. Dew. His Mountain Water, as he calls it. <laughs>
0: Yes, in mountain water.
2: (laughs) It's healthy. It's mountain water.
0: (laughs) They were the beautiful, tender, real, relatable moments that this film so just stunningly woven in. Mm. Uh, those like innocent child moments of the yeah mountain water and stuff. It's oh, just just yeah. gorgeous, really gorgeous.
2: Let's talk about the cinematography that really took mm. you to this place in Arkansas.
0: We've been really spoiled for films over the last few months that ensure that the landscape becomes a key character in the storytelling. Mm. And this film is no exception.
2: I'm liking that trend.
0: Yeah, so am I.
2: Cinematographers rule the world.
0: <laughs> I'm here for it you know, this awards season, and we've touched on it in our awards special episode that is available now to listen to. And when the Oscars come and go, we'll be doing another episode. And I think Mm. it's going to be a really interesting race for the cinematographer that will take home the trophy this awards season, because there is just such stunning work out there. Mm. It's really hard to pick. It's going to be a very competitive category, I think.
2: Absolutely. And what did you think about the music and the soundtrack?
0: So I was completely swept away. Immediately. Mm. I got a certain Big Little Lies vibe right at the beginning of the film because it was the piano tune, really orchestral and very atmospheric. So if you can think about the opening titles of Big Little Lies, I just got that big sort of loud, Mm. full sound. And then the music just played out so beautifully throughout. The rest of the film It was another Really big character I think
2: It fits so naturally Though as well And mm. we've got to talk About the cute And catchy Minari song That Grandma Sings Oh yes Minari Minari Wonderful Minari
0: <laughs> I just love Grandma I just love her so much
2: Yeah There were some Supporting characters Very minimal Supporting characters In this film But one Who mm. was Sort of Elevated Was Paul The religious Zealot Who is A characterization, I guess Of a lot of people in that area in America. Is that a generalization?
0: Oh, it could be a generalization, but it was also taken from Lee Isaac Chung's experience as a childhood. There was a person in his real life that he wrote that character based Mm, on. So, I think it's a true alignment. It's one of those kind of visual memories that he had that he wove into this story that ultimately became Minari. Yeah, Will Patton was Mm. the actor And I just could not believe the performance that he brought to screen. It was so brilliant.
2: Because this is a really quirky character and it could become really cartoonish if you weren't careful. And he really grounded Mm -hmm. him in, I think, reality, I guess. I mean, I don't have personal experience with a character like that, but it seemed real.
0: He was incredibly endearing and he came from a really beautiful place and was helping this family. Mm. And his quirks were something that I really looked forward to. And I think that there was a good balance in those character quirks because you have the character of Grandma, who was quirky AF. Mm. And then you had the character of Paul. And I think there they they were beautiful symmetries there. They brought different, unique changes mm-hmm. in the tone and those character interactions and developments. And I think they were just really beautifully realised characters, both of them.
2: Yeah, and they both brought a bit of humour without completely mm-hmm. derailing the tone of the film.
0: No, it felt so real It was like Mm. this is how a family would react and talk And humour is a huge part of a family unit Mm. So I'm glad they didn't shy away from that It was, yeah, very well balanced, I think That's key All right, Lee. do we think we're ready to offer our popcorn kernels for Minari?
2: Yep, let's jump into it
0: It was a deeply personal story that centres itself on characters in their day-to-day lives It was complex but relatable And it was humorous to boot It was charming and insightful for the audience in what an immigrant experience could look like for a particular family unit. Mm. I adored this movie and I'm looking forward to seeing all of its achievements on the award circuit. And I'm going to give it four and a half popcorn kernels.
2: Ooh, Well, I'm going to agree with a lot of what you said there. Minari explores not only how an immigrant family adjusts to their new community and surroundings, but also how they face the broader challenges that all families wrestle with faith, relationships, and finding your place and wanting to belong. It was a stunning film. Go out and see it. I'm going to give it four and a half popcorn kernels too.
0: Oh, wonderful. Well, guys, you can catch Minari, which is in cinemas right now.
2: All right, Tim, let's move on to I Care A Lot, which could not be a more different film to Minari.
0: Yeah, we're really jumping into a completely different type of film entirely in every way shape or form so I Care A Lot stars Rosamund Pike as a shady court appointed guardian for the elderly who dumps them in care homes and fleeces them off their belongings and money all while supposedly looking after their well-being Lee.
2: It's written and directed by Jay Blakeson who was the director of The Fifth Wave and it stars Rosamund Pike, Peter Dinklage and Diane Wiest. This is an interesting story in I Care A Lot, isn't it? Rosamund plays, as we said, a court-appointed guardian who is fabulously sinister. Like, two words that you wouldn't put together. Oh, my goodness. Rosamund Pike does Nefarious so damn well and it's so enjoyable to watch, isn't it? Well, that's
0: the thing. Like, I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to portray and talk about this film, but Mm. the thing that jumps out at me as a headline is that the premise of this film is absolutely disgraceful it is disgusting what these characters Mm. do and the drama that ensues but my goodness me is it incredibly entertaining yeah like i kind of feel bad that it's like no these these characters they're awful this story i can't gotta look away but i'm like I can't because it's so good. I can't look away. Yeah. I couldn't look away. So damn good.
2: I'm glad you said disgusting because I was going to say unsettling. It is quite gross, isn't it, that Mm. a guardian can abuse duty of care so easily.
0: It was very aware of its technique in terms of how it was communicating the story. Mm. Often when a film opens up with a bunch of context and exposition as this film does at the beginning you know, the line, there are two types of people in this world. And usually you lose me when that sort of dialogue is is read out. Right. But I think what followed was just these deeply complex, fucked up characters that just had me in the palm of their hand because I just wanted to know what disgraceful acts and what debaucherous decisions and, yeah. you know, unethical choices they were going to make throughout the film. So, I was just on this wild ride.
2: They're absolutely characters that you love, To hate. And when someone's that cocky, obviously, you know that it's only a matter of time before it all falls apart. So you can see that coming a mile away, can't you?
0: Yeah, you can. You can.
2: Speaking of the character choices, I had a little bugbear with Rosamund Pike's character choices and the motivation. I did not find it believable, some of the choices that she was making. And, you know, Mm. at some point she suddenly becomes an expert covert operative. I just feel like two thirds in this movie went off the rails for me.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. It really lost its way, I think. And they worked so hard on setting and establishing such a pace in the front half of Mm. the movie that it did definitely go off the rails. And I completely agree. I've got the same note that I stopped believing in her attitude and the choices she was making.
2: Do you think that came down to a lack of background about the character? Like we got a lot of exposition, as you said, at the beginning, but we didn't get a lot of reasons as to why she is the way she is.
0: That's a really good point. That that's probably something that could have really helped because I feel like you don't hold that position in society and make those choices. There's mm. unethical choices, unless you've had some sort of experience growing up as a child or maybe as a younger woman. Mm. And we never really got that. We never really understood who she was and how she yeah. landed in, in this position. So, Yeah, maybe there was just that lack of context in in who she was as a person that kind of then ultimately made decisions that she made with a lot of conviction, but they were very confusing to us as an audience. Yeah,
2: because she's so smart and savvy in this con that she's got going on, Mm. but then she just threw that cleverness out the window and made really stupid decisions. I was like, why are you being so stubborn? If she wasn't, we wouldn't have a movie.
0: Yeah, very true. (laughs) We'd have half a movie. Yeah. All these characters were deeply unhinged, so... I mean, they were, they were just dark people Mm. and maybe we were just meant to go along with some of these, you know, they were just so hell bent on power and control and, and that whole mentality that maybe it running off the rails was kind of where it was always going to head. But yeah, it Mm. was, it just felt like two separate movies uh, at one point. Can we jump into the style and tone that this film was portraying? You know, I want to talk about music cinematography Mm. The the editing as well. But first, the music. Fucking loved it. That just vivacious...
2: Fucking hated it.
0: You hated it.
2: Absolutely hated it. It felt completely wrong for the film. Oh,
0: I quite loved the club music. Mm, mm, Like it was just... It set that tone in that pace and it was really in your face. You didn't like it.
2: I think it was too overpowering. The music mm. it was like an 80s heist movie or some kind of sci-fi flick. I, mm. It <laughs> completely wrong for the tone of the film. It was trying too hard to heighten the tension and yeah. that synthesizer techno music was just too indulgent. It went on for too long, too much, really jarred me and took me out of the film, to be honest.
0: Fair, fair. I mean, I think you mentioned the word that sums up this film, Uh, indulgence. It really did indulge in certain techniques to Mm. kind of just push this really full-on agenda in this story that kind of went all different directions. So, I kind of agree with you to a certain extent there.
2: And the use of montages was really heavy and I think that affected the pace of the film?
0: It was a real issue, the pace of the film and how it was impacted about halfway through. So, it kind of... Yeah, we've mentioned that it lost its way, and do you think that the montages kind of aided in its in losing its its momentum?
2: Definitely contributed to that, and the third act dragged for me.
0: It was almost like a completely different film. You mentioned before that it mm. kind of turned into this like heist, and I think that brings us back to like I was interested to see whether Rosamund Pike's character had like a background in espionage. <laughs> Or was she a cop or an FBI, CIA agent? Yeah. Yeah, she kind of put on a completely new different hat and the film did. I don't know, it kind of felt like a Guy Ritchie movie at one point. Mm. Don't you think it had flavours of a Guy Ritchie kind of film with gangsters and all the rest of it?
2: I guess, yeah. So having said all that, though, Rosamund Pike just elevates this film completely. She's fantastic. She always is. And she plays those kind of sinister characters so well, doesn't she?
0: Oh, 100%. She was fantastic. And she met her match also from the performance perspective in Peter Dinklage, Mm. who was an incredibly... Unhinged and mysterious Man Mm. But I think Rosman Definitely carried the film And delivered A very fun performance
2: Peter Dinklage I enjoyed his performance Immensely Mm. Don't get me wrong Mm. But I think The gangster portrayal Sort of veered into Caricature territory (laughs) A little bit I would have liked to have known a bit more about him as well as a character to really be invested in his performance, but thoroughly enjoyed it though. He was very good.
0: I think the common thread here is both our position that we just needed a few more hooks of greater understanding in who these characters Mm -hmm. were to understand their motivations a little bit more and ultimately the choices and the chaos that followed. So I Mm. think that's um, a key ingredient that was lacking in this film overall.
2: And you've got Diane Weist in the film, completely underutilised. Completely.
0: I was really upset about that because I think she's Mm. a fantastic actress. Mm. And she was kind of just like floating around in in dead space whenever she was on screen. And I thought, there's got to be something more here that she could do. And she was completely Mm. pushed to the side. It was a real disappointment.
2: Should we wrap up this film?
0: Yeah, Lee. uh, Let's give our popcorn kernel rating. What do you think of I Care A Lot?
2: I really enjoyed this film for most of the way through. There were a few elements that pulled me out of it. As I mentioned, the music and the montages were a little overindulgent for me, but fantastic performances. Love it when Rosamund Pike plays these characters. Mm. So compelling and so exciting to watch that you almost forget everything else. I just wish it punched a little harder and was a bit more cohesive. Yes. So I'm going to give I Care A Lot three popcorn kernels.
0: I think I Care A Lot knew exactly the type of film it was trying to be utterly ridiculous and I think that what held it together was the performance of Rosamund Pike and kind of the mystery behind uh, this whole other unethical world and this disgraceful premise and what they were trying to do mm. but I think it really did like you have said kind of fell apart about halfway through and, and the tone in the pacing was deeply meddled with but I had a lot of fun so I'm going to give I Care A Lot three popcorn kernels
2: as well. I Care A Lot is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video with a subscription to the service. Alright Tim, before we jump into news, we have an exciting ticket giveaway for our Australian listeners. Thanks to Madman Entertainment, we have five double passes to give away to see Girls Can't Surf in cinemas from March 11.
0: The documentary tells the true story of a group of rebellious female surfers in the 1980s who took on the male-dominated professional surfing world in a fight for inclusion, recognition and equality.
2: To be in with a chance of scoring a double pass to see this inspiring documentary, simply head to our Instagram or Facebook page and comment Girls Can Surf on the competition post.
0: Get amongst it, guys. It would be a great film to check out. So we have some Mission Impossible news to share with you today. So Mission Impossible 7 and Mission Impossible Eight, will no longer film back to back Which was the original plan So Tom Cruise will now be required to promote His upcoming Top Gun Maverick film For release in July Which we're very excited about mm-hmm. So this has meant that there will be a small break For the cast and crew before Ethan Hunt Tackles his eighth impossible mission
2: Can't wait to see it We got the first poster and official teaser for Cruella, starring Emma Stone as the Dalmatian-obsessed Disney villain. Cruella is expected in Australian cinemas on May 27. What did you think of this first look, Tim?
0: I loved it. It was not what I was expecting, but I don't know what I was expecting. It seems deeply dark and compelling.
2: When you see the poster, when the poster came out, it had this 90s goth vibe about it, which Mm. I loved so much. When is this movie going to be set, do you think? It's hard to tell from the trailer.
0: Yeah, I believe it's the 70s, but I could be wrong. Oh, really? Mm. But you definitely got the 90s punk vibes from the poster, I think, initially, I agree.
2: And then you get the trailer, which felt very DC to me. It was like a mashup between Harley Quinn and the Joker, especially with the music.
0: Yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm here for that. That's an interesting perspective, but it's kind of where they went with it. I'm deeply intrigued by this film because we have waited a very long time to Mm. get any sort of glimpse in this story. You know, it's coming out in a couple of months. Usually these trailers and first looks, you know, start to trickle in a year, Mm. six to 12 months before. So, it's an interesting strategy from a marketing perspective.
2: I'm just really intrigued and I can't quite picture how Disney are going to go down that darker road because Mm. when they try to appeal to too broad an audience, it kind of falls flat, I think.
0: Right. Do you think they're in danger of of falling flat here? Yeah. Mm. I hope not. Me too. I mean, Emma Stone- I just loved everything that she brought to this trailer. So I'm really, really excited, more excited than I thought I would be.
2: Can't wait to see it. It was announced this week that 13 Lives will be produced on the Gold Coast. The drama is directed by Oscar winner Ron Howard and tells the true story of a soccer team's rescue from a flooded Thai cave in 2018. Most people would be familiar with that story.
0: I will never forget the news coverage. Mm. An extraordinary story. The production is expected to employ more than 275 Queensland cast and crew and would pump $45 million into the local economy. Ron Howard has said, I'm thrilled to bring this film to Queensland and to work with many talented and skilled Australian artists over the coming months.
2: Can't wait to have him here on our shores.
0: He's like Hollywood royalty. Might just have to do a cheeky trip to Queensland and (laughs) catch a glimpse. (laughs)
2: Speaking of films shot in Australia, the first trailer for the Mortal Kombat reboot launched this week, along with character posters for the cast, and we've shared some of those on Instagram, so check them out. Mortal Kombat is expected in Australian cinemas on April 15, so that's just around the corner too.
0: It is, not very far away. And since April is the second anniversary of Popcorn Podcast, insert round of applause here and woos. We have some big things planned to celebrate the release of this movie, including ticket giveaways. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow our social pages.
2: So many exciting things coming up, Tim. Can't wait.
0: I'm rubbing my hands together like Mm. Mr. Burns. Excellent.
2: What did you think of the trailer though?
0: (laughs) Pretty expected in terms of pretty dark. Mm. It's very effects heavy, more effects heavy than I was anticipating.
2: Have you seen the first one from the 90s?
0: Oh, guilty. No, I haven't. <sighs> but I'll make sure I do.
2: Another generational thing, isn't it?
0: <laughs> I know. Lee, you're slowly uh, ensuring that I follow the correct path in yeah. life. So, I'll, I'll catch it.
2: Well, the special effects from that one don't hold up so well. So, I'm really excited about the modern technology being used to bring this one to life. And the performances and the casting is really fantastic. It was shot mm. in South Australia, here in Australia. Oh. And has so many Australian actors in it. How funny. I could not stop laughing at Josh Lawson's Australian Kano at the end. You fucking beauty.
0: (laughs) It was a good way to end it, wasn't it?
2: (laughs) It's going to be so funny.
0: To round out the news for the week, Paddington 3 has been officially announced. The Paddington movies are incredibly popular family films based on the beloved British book character. Studio Canal UK has revealed they are working very hard on a new big screen story for the marmalade-loving bear.
2: People love these films. I mean, I do too. They're not high up on my list of like preferred films to watch, but they're so successful.
0: Yeah, they really are. And Paddington 2 is considered the better of the two films currently. Mm. It's kind of like taken on that mantle of a sequel that's better than the original. Right. So I'm keen to see what they bring and develop the story out further for Paddington 3, but clearly people are really looking forward to it.
2: I'm excited to see who the villain is going to be in this one. You had Hugh Grant in the last one. I can't remember who was in the first one. It
0: was Nicole Kidman. She was the villain in the right. first. yeah. Yeah, of course I'd know that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> who are they going to get for the third one, I wonder?
0: I don't know, but I mean, there's... um incredible work in the villain space in those films. So they, I'm sure they'll get the casting right. Pretty excited Mm. to see what they, what they deliver.
2: Well, that's it for another week of popcorn podcast. We reviewed Minari, which is in cinemas now. And I care a lot, which is streaming on Amazon prime.
0: You couldn't pick two more different films to check out in your week guys. So Mm. we'd love to hear what your thoughts are on Minari and I care a lot in our comments on our social pages.
2: Thank you for listening.
0: And we'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Go check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you to listen to.
2: If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an about us section and we run giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information.